We're in the middle of our series, uh, Behind Their Backs, looking at what God has to say about the people we talk about. Uh, and it's a, a challenge for us to take seriously that command we see there in Leviticus 19 that says pretty simply, love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's it. It's, it's a simple command to understand. It's hard to do because when we start to think about this command, we realize that God gave us this command to love our neighbor as ourselves, uh, not for the people we find easy to love, you know, those people that everybody can, you know, has a, a real easy time loving these people, but it's for the people that are hard to love. And God is saying we've got to love all of our neighbors. And if we're going to be a church that's for our neighbors, we've got to love all of them, uh, whether they're easy to love or hard to love. Uh, part of my intention and hope in this series going through um, looking at different kinds of, of folks uh, was because I was a little tired of hearing everybody tell me, you know, what God had to say about people uh, that wasn't at all what God had to say about people. You know, things like, you know, well, the Bible says, I'm always nervous right there. Uh, well, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Friends, the Bible does not say that. You can go home today, you can flip through every page of the Bible, you can look for that all day long you want, and it's not going to be in there. Now, I have a collection of, of, of uh, teachings that I phrase as something like this, the things that Jesus wanted to say, but ran out of time to say them in. You know, he had three years of a public teaching ministry. If he had a fourth year, you know, I've got a book of things I would offer as a suggestion, you know, things I would have loved to have heard him say that he didn't actually say. Uh, but my book and yours might be a little bit different, and so we better just stick with the things that Jesus actually said. I think that's sort of the, uh, the goal. And I think maybe if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, maybe you are upset with God or maybe you're upset with Jesus because of all the things he actually didn't say. Maybe people have told you things that Jesus said that in fact he didn't actually say. And so part of my hope in doing this series was to actually look at what does Scripture have to say? What has God told us about a lot of these folks that we talk about, about a lot of these situations that we argue about? Uh, what does God have to say about that? And so today we're going to look at this issue of poverty and the poor. Um, you know, I think collectively, most people, you know, they say, yeah, I want to help the poor. You stop anybody on the street and you say, do you want to help the poor? Uh, pretty much, I think 99.9% .9 of everybody's going to say yes. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's like, no, I don't want to help the poor. I don't know why anybody would choose to be poor. That's ridiculous. I mean, I'm sure that person exists, but most people say, yeah, we'd really like to help the poor. But there's a disconnect between what we want to do and what we actually do. And sometimes we get stuck in what I'll call this ideological debate where we can't do anything until we can do it perfect. Um, that's not, I think, what we're called to do. Uh, because, you know, I, I hear from people talking about, you know, helping the poor and maybe something like a social program. Uh, you know, it starts to get a little contentious when you start talking about that. You know, the government's got this program to help the poor, and then you'll hear somebody say, well, you know, if every Christian tithed, then we wouldn't have the poor, and we wouldn't have this problem because the church could take care of all these issues. Well, I think that the math is probably in your favor. If everybody that claimed to be a Christian tithed, yes, in fact, I suspect we probably could take care of all these issues. But the problem is that they don't. 
you don't. It doesn't even happen here. And so I think that what we need to do is deal with what I'll call reality. And we've got to deal with what is the situation we find ourselves in and how can we be people that work to be true to the heart of God for uh, the poor? How can we be people that, that work uh, to minister in the name of Christ? How we, can we be people that, that structure a church, uh, structure social programs? Uh, even, yes, I do think this comes into how we vote. All of these things are, should be influenced by our faith. And, and so this morning what I'm going to do is, is hopefully just look at some texts from the Bible and and we're going to wrestle with God's heart, and then we're going to ask the hard questions uh, on an individual level and say, well, how am I going to now live this out now that I know this? Uh, you go through the Old Testament, you see that God's heart is constantly with the poor. Uh, I love this verse, and we'll start here with this one. Deuteronomy fifteen, ten through 11. It says, so give freely to those who are needy. Open your hearts to them. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work, he will bless you in everything you do. There will always be poor people in the land. Uh, God is saying, that's just reality. There will always be uh, the poor. He says, but, or so, I'm commanding you, because there's always going to be folks in poverty, that you give freely to those who are poor and needy in your land. Open your hands to them. This verse, I think, very clearly uh, told the nation of Israel that God was going to bless them in proportion to how they bless the poor. God said, if, if I bless you and prosper you and your fields are abundant and you have bumper crops year after year and you just hoard it for yourself and the poor in your land become poorer and you become richer, God says, I am not going to bless that. He says, but if I have an open hand towards you and you have an open hand towards the poor, he said, then I will continue to bless you so that you will continue to be a blessing. That's kind of a constant theme, I think, throughout Scripture. As I did a big survey through the Bible, just kind of looking up every place the word poor showed up, poverty showed up, trying to really wrap my mind around this, there was a recurring theme, I think, that, that I saw, and it was this. It was that poverty focuses our faith. This is true whether you're here this morning and you would say, I am in poverty, or whether you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm not in poverty. That is a common theme for everybody, is that poverty focuses our faith, Throughout the uh, text of Scripture, we will read passages where God will say to the poor, He said, Listen, I am hearing your cry. I hear your voice. You might not have anybody else that you can cry out to, but you can cry out to me. And when you cry out to me, I hear you. Uh, when you pray, give us this day our daily bread. And for you, it is not sort of a, a, a cerebral exercise, but it is a legitimate, honest prayer. God, will you provide me with what I need for today? Because you find yourself living in that place of poverty. The scripture makes it clear that for folks that are struggling in that place, he says that poverty, he says, is going to focus your faith. And it's going to make you depend on me more than anybody has ever depended on me. Which is, is kind of an interesting side note. I think is why so many Christians throughout the centuries have voluntarily taken on what we call a vow of poverty. They actually choose to get rid of their possessions and often live in community with other folks because they believe that, that having little or nothing would focus their, their faith and their dependence upon God. Now, for many of them, that was a choice. And I know that today many people are in that place, but it's not by their choice. It is by other choices or circumstances or situations. I get that. But regardless, it's true that poverty focuses our faith. If you're here this morning and you're not in that place, and you're not one of those people that when it's the day before payday, you're not sure if you're going to be able to put gas in your tank, 
but you're not concerned about that, and you know that you've got plenty, and you're not praying, give us this day our daily bread, because you know the daily bread is on top of the fridge, and that next week's daily bread is in the freezer. If that's you, then I would say this also, that poverty focuses our faith. Because throughout Scripture, God is constantly saying, share, give, don't trust in your possessions, give to the people that are in need. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this, God is able to bless you abundantly. Why does this matter? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Uh, throughout Scripture, God says you should bless in accordance with how you've been blessed. You should share with in accordance how God has shared with you. And if you do that, you will see that poverty focuses your faith. Uh, so that's kind of the overarching theme. If you take nothing else with you this morning, I, I kind of want to just embrace that idea. But I want to look now at a few verses and scriptures that kind of give us some thoughts on how we might handle this deal of, of the situation of poverty, how we might help folks that uh, are commonly referred to as the poor, and how is it that we can help uh, in this situation. A couple of principles. Here we go. Number one is this. The poor are always to be treated as people. Just, it's a no-brainer, and yet it's something that often is forgotten about. The poor are always to be treated as people. We saw this uh, played out in our community recently where this kind of wasn't followed. Uh, we had a city commissioner um, who was uh, putting out on Facebook, he was tweeting, that's the problem, right? Uh, we just need the, <laughs> the tweeting must stop. Uh, so he's tweeting about this issue of, um, of panhandling within our community. And so as he was tweeting about that, he was lumping panhandlers and the homeless together. And he said, you know, we've got to do something to deal with panhandling and homelessness. We've just got to deal with this because it's a real problem. And just sort of made this big blanket statement. Uh, meanwhile, Rondell Miller, who works at Hotel Inc., was actually, uh, she had a focus group of homeless men. And she was asking them about the situation of the homeless within our community. How could different organizations partner with them? How could they kind of make these things work a little bit better? And while that came out, she thought, I'm interested to know what our homeless folks have to think and say about the panhandlers within our community. And so she asked the homeless folks, she said, well, what do you think about the panhandlers in Bowling Green? And she said it was a riot. I was talking to her. She said it was a riot. She said, because as angry as you might think you are about panhandling, she said the homeless people were more upset. She said they were constantly saying, they give us a bad name. You know, these people are out there hustling people on the street, and here we are, you know, we're just minding our own business. We're living, you know, maybe under the bridge or by the bridge. You know, we're, we're not hurting anybody. We're, and they're like, why does anybody think they can stand on a street corner and ask other people for their money? They said, it just doesn't make any sense to us. And so she thought that was pretty humorous, and so she invited the city commissioner to come and meet with the homeless folks, and so to his credit, he did, and it was a very enlightening experience. About a few hours later, he takes a picture, tweets that out, and he says, you know, I, I see now that this is a much more complicated issue, it's a lot larger issue, and it was great to be connected with these people, uh, and I see that, you know, we've got to take this sort of more on a case-by-case -case basis, because the groups of people aren't the same, and the groups of people aren't the same because the individual people are not the same. Uh, we've got to remember that, that each person is somebody who's been created in the image of God. And we've got to treat these people as fellow image bearers. Uh, this is why every individual, whether you're homeless or housed, whether you're poor or rich, we are all, according to God's word, entitled to basic rights like justice. Exodus 23, verse 6 through 8 says this, Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits have nothing to do with a false charge. Do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. 
Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. God right here is just calling out something that is reality. He's saying, listen, if you've got a poor person and a wealthy person in court, he says, don't take their financial means into account when you make a decision. If they offer you money for it to go in their favor, don't accept it. You're always to strive for a just ruling between two people, whether they're poor or whether they're rich. And it's beyond a bribe, too. I think we know that, you know, if, if it comes down to dealing with, you know, ruling in favor of somebody who's wealthy or ruling in favor of somebody who's poor, you know, you go, well, if I help the wealthy person, maybe later they'll be able to help me. But if I help the poor, what are they going to do for me? God says, you can't take that into account. Everybody deserves justice. In addition to receiving justice, God says we need to treat people with just common courtesy, with just love. James chapter 2, 1 through 4 says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, oh, you stand over there or you sit at the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What God is saying is we, we need to treat each other with love and compassion. That's one of the things I love about uh, Room in the Inn ministry is we don't just serve a meal. People line up and here's your plate and go sit down and eat it. We have folks that come and sit and share a meal with some of the homeless of our community that come in. I, I think of a story that comes out of Central Christian Church in Las Vegas where there's a man who'd struggled with addiction for pretty much his whole life, and he had come to this church through their homeless outreach, and, and there was a lady there who saw on this man's face, face just dejection and brokenness, and she said, you know what? You look like you need a hug. And he said, I haven't showered in about two weeks. He said, you don't want to hug me. But she said, yes, I do, and she gave him a hug. And as he looked back on what was the turning point for his life, because he's got it together, and he's on staff now helping other homeless folks and other folks dealing with addiction come out of it. He will say, it was that hug. It was that moment when this woman saw me as a person. Friends, we've got to treat each other with common courtesy and dignity. Uh, part of this is, is simple, basic practices like paying people promptly and fairly. I love the practicality of the Scripture. Leviticus 19.13 says, Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. There were people who worked day to day, paycheck to paycheck, and they worked today for this evening's meal and tonight a place to stay. And if you held their wage, they didn't have something to eat tonight and they didn't have a place to sleep. Now, a lot of employers at this time would do that so that way they could get their labor force back in the morning, but God says don't do that. Give somebody what they've worked for. Pay them promptly. Pay them fairly. I remember talking with a man who pastored in North Georgia and he had lived out there several years, worked uh, among uh, the poor in his community. And he said, you know, we could always tell when the harvest time was over. Uh, he lived in a very agricultural area where there was a lot of harvesting and required a lot of migrant workers to come in to actually harvest these crops for these large uh, commercial farms. And he said, here's what would happen. He said, week one, these, these workers would come and they would uh, pick whatever they were picking and they would put it together. And then uh, at the end of that week, they'd get paid. They'd come back the next week, and, and they would work again, you know, sun up to sundown, and they would, you know, work hard, and then they would get paid on that Friday. He said, but then the third week would always come, and they would come, and they would pick, and they would work from sun up to sundown, and this is hard work, friends. 
He said, and we could always tell when the harvest was over because when they came on Friday, the day they were supposed to get paid, he said uh, the immigrations and customs officials were waiting to arrest all of them. So these folks had essentially worked an entire week and had not gotten paid. Now, we might argue a, a lot about immigration and policies and rights and all those sorts of things, but I think Scripture tells us when somebody works for you, you pay them. You pay them what you owe them. That is something that God says, that's what it means to treat a person like a person. Now, in addition to treating people like people, God will also call out uh, what Scripture will say. He said, the poor, he said, these folks, he said, they are supposed to also have special provision in your community, uh, that the community should care for the poor. A lot of verses, some we looked at last week that I'm going to reference here today. We won't read in the sake uh, of time. But Exodus 23.10, for six years, you're to sow your field and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Now, today, friends, we don't have to let the land lie fallow because we're able to fertilize and put back into the land the nutrients that uh, a crop takes out of it. And so, you know, now we see people rotate their crops because that's good for the land, and we'll see people fertilize so that way they can always harvest from their, their, their land. But in this time, it was a common practice to, to do some crop rotation, but to also every few years let your land go unused and let everything kind of grow up and fall back into it so that way it would re-energize you know, the soil. And God says, listen, that is a good practice. He said, but one of the practices you have is that just because stuff has been planted for six years, it's going to come up that seventh year. It's just going to do that. He says, when that happens, he said, don't go harvest it. You leave it alone. You let it stay there for the poor in your community. He said, you've got six years of full harvest that you should be able to set enough aside so that way you can take care of that for yourself for that year. He said, but leave that alone for the poor in your community. This is a practice that's in addition to things like not uh, harvesting all the way up to the edge of the field. He said, you know, leave the, the last few feet of the field alone for that way, uh, for the poor in your community. He said, if you're gathering in a sheath and, and, you know, you drop some of it or some of it falls out, he says, if it falls down, he says, you just leave it there. You leave it there for the poor in your community so that way they can come and harvest and gather the things that they need. God says, I want there to be these kinds of provision." He even had provision in Scripture in Deuteronomy 15. We don't have time to look at this passage. But God told the people of Israel that among themselves, he says, I don't want you to hold a debt between each other longer than seven years. Every seven years, I want you to to sort of just cancel the debt, wipe the slate clean, and allow folks to move on. Uh, An even more dramatic practice is found in Leviticus 25.13. It said, in this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. Now, this is an interesting concept in the Old Testament. We don't know that Israel ever practiced it. But uh, when God divided out the land among the tribes of Israel and then among the clans and the families of Israel, he said, this is your portion. I've I've given this to you. This is your inheritance. And, you know, that was great. They could farm, they could use it, uh, and that was what they would make their livelihood on. But God knew that at some point in time you might fall into financial difficulty, And the easiest thing for you to do would be to sell that piece of property. Maybe you weren't able to tend it, or maybe you had some some bills, things you had to take care of, and so you would sell that property to somebody else in your community. God said, listen, that's fine and that's good, but listen, every 50 years, the reset button gets hit, all the property goes back to where it came from. It goes back because it is something that I gave to you, and I don't want you to sell it. I want this to be a reset button. 
So, you know, using today's terms, we might say the fair market economy was, was there throughout this entire time, but every 50 years, God said there needs to be a reset button. He said, otherwise, I think things are going to get out of hand. Uh, otherwise, I think that this cycle of poverty is going to get worse, and this gap between rich and poor is going to get bigger. He said, I, I want to make sure that there's a means where folks who are stuck in this have a way to get out of it. This is one of the reasons why God commanded his people to give to help the poor. We looked last week at how the Israelites didn't just pay one tax or tithe, they paid uh, a total of three. If you read through Scripture, it's kind of tricky. You've got to get your pencil and, and uh, calculator out, but you'll see that God actually commands of his people three tithes. Now, tithe is 10%, and so it's, it ends up being two tithes every year and then a tithe every third year, so that's 23% is what the nation of Israel was contributing uh, to different purposes. One of the tithes went to the priests and to the, the religious system of the day to help the temple uh, remain, to pay for the Levites, to, they who administered a lot of different you know, functions within the nation of Israel. Uh, that was one tithe. You gave that every year. You had another 10% that was used for festivals. God commanded his people to come to the tabernacle and then come to the temple uh, every year for special uh, high holy feasts, special holy days of celebration. And God said, I want you to set aside 10% so that way you can go celebrate uh, these high holy feasts with me in Jerusalem. Part of that tithe would have gone to, you know, to buy a lamb uh, for them to, to eat and celebrate Passover with. And so they would have saved 10% of their income to essentially take a family uh, spiritual vacation, a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and they would give that as sort of a festival tax. Then there was that other tithe that was taken every three years. And that 3%, if you break it down over three years, or 3.333333 going on, uh, that was to be used to help particularly the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant within the community. And God says, I want you to give this. So if you take all these things, it adds up to about 23%. Now today, we might complain about tax. You know, I, I have a saying. I always tell the person doing my taxes, because I'm not smart enough to figure it out myself. I say, listen, I want to pay my fair share, but I don't want to pay any more than my fair share. And there are times when my fair share has seemed a little more fair than it should be. Uh, and I've had some complaints about that too. You know, why is it so fair for me? Um, you know, and I didn't care for that. And it's easy to get angry and it's easy to get upset. I think we would do well to realize that, you know what? Part of that's going to help the poor. And I'm going to embrace that. And I'm going to view that as a blessing. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I know. But I think we would do well if we could sort of embrace this idea that, you know, part of what I'm doing is helping to live out this Old Testament idea of caring for the poor. It is a blessing to help the poor. I've got a few verses I want to go through here about Mach 3, so put your seatbelts on, buckle up. We're getting ready to take a ride through the Bible. Here we go, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Here's what uh, Paul says. He says, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work should not eat. Uh, I think this is a scriptural command where God says the first person you should help out of poverty is yourself. Uh, the first person you should help out of poverty, make sure you've got enough food on the table, is yourself. Uh, this is why Ephesians 4.28 says this, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. Why? So that they would have something to share with those in need. If you don't have anything, you don't have anything to share. God says it's important that we work and that we help ourselves out of poverty and that we work so that way we have enough to share with the people that are in need around us. The problem is that we often don't learn about sharing until we have more than we need but less than we can part with. 
And we stay in that place, I think, for a very long time. This is why today we fertilize the crops, and we can grow every year, not just six out of seven. And yet, despite the fact that we fertilize more and we grow more, we seem to give less. It's important that we embrace this idea that part of what happens when I work is that I work to share. Uh, A second thought here of, of blessing is that it's a blessing to help the poor in your own family. 1 Timothy 5, 4 says this, if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God says it's a blessing for us to help the poor within our own family. That's the second place we go. Uh, We might argue that the third place we go to help the poor is within our own church community. 2 Corinthians 9.12 says this, The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, this was a, a, a gift being given to help the poor within Jerusalem, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You see what happens is when the church supports people and the church gives to help people in need and I give a gift card to somebody on behalf of the church or somebody in the church gives me an envelope full of money to give to somebody else and yes, that happens and it's a lot of fun. What happens when I give that gift card or that envelope is that person always says, it's amazing to see how God has provided for me. You see, when you give and you support the poor, God gets the praise and the glory. One more blessing to remember is this, is that helping the poor teaches us about the heart of Christ. Matthew 20, verse 26 and following says this, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, when we give, we model Christ. We model his sacrifice. Now, you might be here this morning, you're going, well, how, how do I do all this? Well, I, I think it's super simple and incredibly practical. John the Baptist was asked this question, and I love his answer because he's just kind of a real tangible kind of guy. The crowd asked him, what should we do? Here's what he said. He said, if you've got two coats, you should share with somebody that doesn't have any. Uh, Gregory the Great, who commented on this passage about 400 AD, he said this. He said, the command is to share two tunics, not one. He said, John couldn't have asked you to share the one coat you have. He said, because if you share one coat among two people, he said, half a tunic leaves the person who receives it naked as well as the person who gives it. He says, but if you've got two, and I suspect you've probably got three, he says, why don't you share? Why don't you share what you have with somebody who does not? If you've got food, do likewise. Reminds me of some friends who served in Haiti as missionaries. These people would come home from time to time to their house, and they would find out that their house had been broken into. And they said it was interesting. He said, when people break into your house in Haiti, they go to your kitchen and they open up your cupboard and they steal a loaf of bread or a jar of peanut butter. They'll take the beans that you have and some rice, but they'll leave the electronics and the valuables alone. They just steal the food. And that's so foreign for us to think about. But it is the world we live in. And God is saying it's time for us to be people that share. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. In other words, make a living, not a killing. Soldiers also asked him, What should we do? He said to them, Do not extort anyone uh, by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. God says that poverty, it focuses our faith, 
And so the question is, will we allow ourselves to focus on poverty enough to learn to trust God as we share with others? Let's try to live that out this week. Let me pray for us right now. God, we thank you for your word, which is challenging, which calls us to uh, live for you in very practical and tangible ways. God, I know that sometimes it can be difficult and seem overwhelming. We might even ask, what, what does my small gift do in the midst of such an overwhelming problem like poverty? God, we might not individually solve that problem, but we can solve it perhaps for someone, or at least for somebody at some particular point in time. And so, God, would you help us to have your heart, people that share, people that accept this challenge of poverty because it calls us to focus our faith on you. And we thank you for that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.